When it comes to self-development, no matter the method you use, the vital point is to practice. If you want to learn methods to transform your life and actively grow into the potential you know is inside of you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Vital Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm a psychedelic integration and transformation coach, breathwork facilitator, and an enthusiast of personal growth. You have the capacity to evolve and bring your intentions and dreams into the world, and there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities that can help you on your journey. This podcast will help you learn about new methods to bring into your life, give you practices to follow, and share stories from practitioners who are doing the work so that you feel inspired to go and practice, because that's the vital point. And my guest today, I'm super honored to be speaking with Hector Marcel. He's the studio, uh, the president of the Three Jewels Enlightenment Studio in New York. He's been studying and practicing Tibetan Buddhism for over 25 years, so it's no wonder that I wanted to talk to him. He's a passionate organizational change management consultant, helping executives drive transformational change in their organizations through an emphasis on culture, people, and service, as well as being a master teacher of meditation and Eastern philosophy, linking ancient Asian ideas to modern Western systems for individuals and teams. He also serves on the board of the Asian Classics Institute. And his main project and the way that I stumbled across him as as the president of Three Jewels, an enlightenment studio in New York, dedicated to help people reach their highest potential through meditation, yoga, public talks, and community outreach. And he believes that meditation opens the door to every personal achievement, which definitely was that calling. I was like, oh, I really want to, to speak with him more in depth. So Hector, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. That was a really good intro. I haven't heard that one for a long time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things where we were, we were just talking before, before I hit record about, you know, sometimes the, the guests that I have on the podcast, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, you know, I know what I'm going to talk to them about. But last night I was doing some research and, you know, Googled your name and it's like, oh, wow, here's a TED talk. Here's, you know, a LinkedIn profile with this, you know, change management, which, you know, I've still have a day job in the corporate world myself. So it was like, oh, this is what an interesting person the, to mix these two kind of worlds together, you know, the world of meditation and, and Buddhist practice, as well as the, the corporate world. So it just really opened my eyes and and gave me some ideas for you know things that we can we can chat about today that's awesome i mean for me that that is the practice right like the practice is how do i show up not just formally on the yoga mat or the meditation cushion but i'm with me like 24 7 conscious and subconscious like when i'm sleeping i'm still there and so what part of those 24 hours every day for as long as I got real practice. We're always practicing something. And actually it was, it was my teacher early, early on. Hopefully we get to talk about how much I resisted my teacher. I think that pulled me to practice properly. That told me you have to integrate it. You can't separate. There's not a difference between you on the cushion and you with a yelling, angry boss at your job. Cause you can be all calm and peaceful on the cushion. But as soon as you, have something in front of you, like the stressors of work and changes of life. That's really where the point of the cushion practice should be showing up. And if you haven't tamed that, if you don't know your mind, if you don't use every experience as a lab, there's no use in meditating. Like, just stop it. It's a waste of time because then you're going to have a divided life. And I mean, I fought against that for ages, but 26 years on, it's incredible how integrating everything with your meditation practice, which essentially is a lab for your mind. And there is nothing in your everyday, in any day, that isn't filtered, interpreted, and engaged with. There's nothing that isn't connected to our minds. So if you work with the mind, forget the stuff out there, then every time you show up for the stuff out there, suddenly you actually have a real practice, not some bullshit practice in a book and not not to to say books aren't important but they're pointing to an experience you know have the experience you don't have time you know right i, I mean i don't have time look at me <laughs> well yeah i mean that's that's you know the the 
that's why I called the podcast the vital point is like you you don't get stronger reading about push-ups. You actually have to practice. You have to do the work. And I you know, I love what you just said because I think a lot of the times when people start to come to personal development in whatever way that looks to them, they feel like there's going to be these big like you know, the, the sky is going to part and the, you know, the sunlight is going to shine down on them. And all of a sudden they're just going to be changed. And I, I'm sure that does happen to some people. It would be really amazing if it did, you know, but for me, and I think a lot of people that I've ended up talking to, it's in these incremental, you know, changes, just like you're mentioning sometimes breath to breath and decision to decision, you know, moment to moment. And where we're, choosing to do something different or we have some awareness of like oh i i have the capacity to change and to do something different i don't have to do it the same way that i've been doing things all the you know the whole time and that's like really where the magic is it's amazing i want to say something about that because you're absolutely correct like it takes this time to habituate which in in tibetan the word for meditate is gong one of the most use words is gom, G-O-M or G-O-H-M, depending on who's spelling it. It literally means to return over and over, to habituate. Return your mind to a specific way of being over and over and over. Try the incremental changes. Try not to yell at someone when they're yelling at you. Try to to live the life you actually want to live. It's not going to work out, not the first time, not the second time, Not. but you're grinding the old paradigms that forces you to yell and get angry to the point where it's been enough times of practicing not to yell maybe when you should be yelling you know but you're just choosing to work with your lab and then after a while it actually will show up as a moment as an epiphany as a parting of the thing right but it's not caused by the thing you just did now it you know like it happened for a month or three months or three years, depending on how much garbage you want to clean in your mind. And there's plenty to clean. And it's just views. It's just frames of reference. And so I that makes sense, right? Like you, you, yeah. you, you put an inertia behind something just like the inertia we have right now to be angry or to be upset or to be depressed. Or our minds have this inertia to experience something. If you understand that that is transformable, which that's why the practice is, then go ahead and find the causes and conditions that would transform it and then get to work, like you said, the gym, right? So I go to the mental gym yeah. and it's not, I'm not going to lift 250 weight the first time. I'm actually never going to do it because I don't go to the gym. Yeah. But <laughs> mentally, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But then after a while, it's easy for you to lift heavy weights. And so if that's the practice, like the lab of the mind, and that's why meditation is everything, because it gives you an, a simulator. Yeah, you can sit in isolation, shut the senses, let the monkey noises stop, because what is our mind besides what we think and what we say and what we feel and what we taste and all the senses? You shut the doors to the senses, sit still, close your eyes, try and breathe naturally, relax, nothing to see here, nothing to hear nothing to move or eat or scratch, your mind will go crazy. If you've ever started a meditation practice, your mind will say, this is impossible because we're just used to connecting our minds to whatever the stimuli is without our awareness or control. But the lab, which is sit down just for a minute, shut your mouth, shut your eyes, shut your ears, try, and don't be distracted by anything. You choose something to put in front of your mind and just hang out there watch that develop into single-pointed focus, which eventually leads into insight. And so there's techniques and thousands of years of meditators in every tradition that can point us there. But that's just the simulation. So sit in the simulation, think, okay, what's my friend going to say when I see them tonight because we had a fight? So they're probably going to say this and I'm probably going to get angry. Sit on your bloody cushion, pretend that you're going to go and have the argument. Try not to have the argument in your meditation cushion and then show up to your friends tonight and see what happens. What Maybe you've got a new inertia in there and you don't say a stupid thing or you don't say three stupid things, you say two stupid things. And that's <laughs> gradual grinding of the habit to, to react and you then you have a choice of response. And so the, the cushion is just a, 
simulator for real life. And integrating those two is actually been everything. It's been the practice. Nothing, there's nothing exempt from the practice. Yeah. Because your mind is there all the time. Like when right. is your mind not there? You know? Yeah. I think that's a really important point. You know, like when oftentimes it's, 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 I'm sure you hear it way more than I do as in, you know, in your role, but you know, you hear like, well, I can't meditate or like, it's too hard. And that, that whole thing that you just mentioned of when you sit down and you start to focus on your breath and you just notice how crazy and how busy the mind is, it was like that the whole time. You just weren't noticing it. It's like, it's like all of a sudden you, you know, the, the curtain, you can see behind the curtain or, you know, the matrix or how, whatever analogy you want to use for it. But it's like, that's what was going on the whole time. And now all you, time. now yeah. you have the opportunity to now that you, there's awareness. Okay. Now I can work with it. Now I can change it. Yeah. And, and wishing to change it doesn't change it. You actually have to go to the gym, right? You have to practice and you're going to fail over and over and over. And the only people that, that I've noticed over the 25, 26 years, me included, is the times that failure became a learning, failure became an, an, a knowledge builder. Failure wasn't a failure. Failure was just awareness of something new. Yeah. And yeah. that something new is all these old narratives. You're a piece of shit. You're no good. You never know anything. Like, just watch them as the players in this mind of yours when we shut down. How interesting that that would come up. Why didn't joy come up? Because that's not what I've got as a habit. So let's make joy the habit. And so, I don't know, I think a, a natural consequence, at least for me, for this way of practicing, is being a little sarcastic with my own mind. I'm like a friend of mine, a friend of mine told me that what I'm really doing is self gaslighting. And I actually think it's true. I think Buddhism is self gaslighting. It's like, I'm not buying my bullshit. I'm not a, I'm not a terrible human being, number one. So why would I like that narrative? Well, you know, I can look, go back and look at instances where I believe that, where I was told that, where I personally experienced that, or when I was a piece of shit. I, I, can, I can name all of them. Right. It doesn't have to be my identity now. It doesn't have to be what I continue to perpetuate. Go to the lab, choose what you want to do, perpetuate something different. And, and therein begins the myriad of practices. You know, like, if that's the case, if you get to choose what your future is, the bigger question is, what the hell do you want to become? Is it okay just to be a successful executive? Because for me, it wasn't. Is it okay to be famous? If for me, it wasn't. I have limited time. You know, if you studied Buddhism, you know the three death awareness contemplations. It's bloody certain. Nothing else is that certain. This yeah. body and mind is going to finish in this form. The body will continue to be something. The mind might continue to be something. But not this form anymore. Death is certain. But when is it coming? Nobody has a clue. Old people die, young people die, middle-aged people die, sick people die, healthy people die. We don't have a clue. Go find out whether everybody that has cancer dies. That's not true. you know. And then the last thing they say, which took me a long time, is that if death is certain and things that we're here will end and we don't know when it's coming, then what's left? What's left is every imprint you've put in your mind your mind will continue according to the Buddhist. And you're, just like the particles of your body will continue and become something else, the imprints of your mind will continue. How the hell did you come to this life with certain propensities, they say? you know. And I find that question fascinating. Then all of a sudden, my practice in front of an angry boss or in front of a loving partner even, like an awesome loving experience, is taking full responsibility, self-gaslighting, that I've got something to do with this terrible or awesome experience. I want more of the awesome, less of the terrible. So much more of the awesome without attachment, so much less of the terrible without attachment that I don't have any negativity. And, and that's called nirvana. You know, per, I think it's defined as the permanent cessation of all mental afflictions in the formal texts. Nirvana is blow out, right? Blow out the candle of the afflictions. Nothing in your mind hurts you anymore. Does, and that means or implies that there's nothing outside of you that your mind could interpret as hurting. And all of a sudden you're walking around in this awakened state. That's the promise. So I have a choice. If I'm going to practice something, which we're all practicing something, I practice getting angry, upset, depressed, triggered, whatever I practice, right? They're all the inertias. What do I actually want to practice? 
and I had a, that, that choice was, do I get my university degree, continue the MBA and the thing? And, and I did all that and I bought the houses and whatever. But do I really give a rat? I don't really. I'm just doing it because I'm here. But every one of those things became fodder for my mind to have a different experience. So I'm going for putting all my chips on red or whatever you do it whatever you do on a casino, I'm like, I don't care about the picket fence. I care about my state of mind with the picket fence or no fence at all, with a big house or no house at all, with a fancy car or the bloody New York subway with the rats, which is pretty awesome. You know, like my mind is a thing. It's not the stuff. Anyway, sorry, I went on a rant, but I wanted to connect like formal practice. is just the beginning of the new habituation, GOM meditation, which you must use in the everyday you can't be i can't be triggered and when i am it's just oh that's interesting why would i want to do that do i want to keep that habit or do i want to change it yeah all of a sudden i'm in control but not in tight control i i have agency you know and that's freedom yeah we we're always we always have the choice of how we're experiencing whatever's happening and it's all an opportunity to practice if we have that that view and that perspective um and i think i think there's a wonderful opportunity in that you know like it's it's wonderful that i don't have to have road rage every time i get in my car or that nobody else does as well right like and that to me is the evidence that i can change is like well if this was real then every time somebody cut me off, I would react the same way. And so would you. And so would this person. And we would all just be, you know, in this weird road rage state. One of the things that I try to remember that, you know, from from something that my teacher told me was that the like my enemies, quote unquote, my enemies are actually more precious than my friends because they're going to teach me things. They're going to give me the opportunity to practice and develop things that my friends and people that love me never would, you know, and it's like, Oh, that's just, just a mind blower, you know, like (laughs) now, now I'm an old guy, right? So I get to teach this stuff to lots of really awesome, inquisitive human beings here in New York and in, you know, online. And that very thing, you know, like the annoying, people around you are your biggest teachers for real because they bring up in you the thing that you thought you had under control, right? And of course, you, we have a lot to do. If you're in this body and here, you got a lot to do yet. Yeah. And so when those people ask me, you know, why are you so at peace? And, you know, they ask me all these assumptions that they think I'm doing. I'm like, no, what do you think I'm teaching you? You know, so I can get triggered easily. <laughs> and so we have a little laugh about it. I'm not, I don't mean it. Yeah. You know, but I try and gaslight them too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's 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 an interesting way of looking at it, you know, of of gaslighting yourself because I think it also points back to this other thing that we're talking about, where there's there is no objective reality out there. You're choosing your story to a certain extent, and some of it you're not choosing. Like, let's not. Oh, to the certain not, extent, I love it. I love right. it. Right. We we should go there. Yeah, there's there's imprints, right? There's things that we we the way that we experience the world is based on our, you know our childhood, and you know if, if we're subscribing to the Buddhist philosophy, which you and I both do, like things that we bring in from the past lives. But even if we don't want to talk about that, like, you know, our childhood experiences and the experiences that we have with lovers and friends and different relationships that have shaped us into things like, oh, I can't trust this, or this is dangerous, this is not safe. But yeah, it's none of it is permanent and tangibly real. We have this opportunity to to shift and to change and put the right causes and conditions as you mentioned yeah Uh, that's that's where the fine line is you know like there's plenty of buddhist thought and you know i hesitate to teach people the formal studies that i did in tibetan buddhist philosophy i don't want people to become buddhists because what that implies is i have to be a monk or a nun or i have to you know be austere or not give a rat you know, like people's idea of Buddhism isn't what my experience of Buddhism. And that's why my Instagram name is Wake Upist, because Bud to awake to Buddha, the one who woke up is a wake upper. So anyone that teaches us about our mental imprints and how they actually project 
our constructs onto an otherwise empty reality out there. That is to wake up to see how your mind is creating the whole experience, which then implies for educated Buddhists, even if you're brand new, our minds, our old way of thinking, things then things don't think that things don't matter or things don't exist at all. And that's not true either. So I just want to give that warning because I, I like this that it seems to, right? So yeah. things don't have a nature. Things are empty of a nature. What that means is, and this is solid foundational emptiness, right? It means that this object, although you and I see pen, can't possibly be projecting pen out, radiating pen, and then everybody that experiences this object must say, what a cool pen, let me write a, a, a poem. Because right. if it were true, then other sentient creatures like dogs who see this object wouldn't salivate and just want to use it as a chew toy. For them, it's radiating chew toyness. For us, it's radiating pen. And that's the illusion that this seems to have some nature. This is neither pen and neither chew toy, chew toy without a perceiver, without a human or a dog. Because when you pull out all the dogs from the room and all the humans from the room and you're left with this object as is, not as your mind is forcing you to see. If you really saw this object for its colors and shades, you could see the biases in our minds wanting to make it 3D. But the data doesn't say 3D. In, in your mind, you're seeing it like 3D, right? Like because of the shading, whatever. The yeah. data you're receiving is not telling you that. Why and how does that happen? The mind is constructing upon data is constructing this perfect image of pen. If it was pen from its own side, dogs must want to write to their dog girlfriends, <laughs> you know, and, and that's not happening. Right. But it doesn't mean that there aren't chew toys and it doesn't mean that there aren't pens. Sure. This thing exists. It really exists, but not in big capital R really, <laughs> ultimate yeah. really. It relatively exists to dogs or humans or any other sentient that looks upon it. Some people find it meaningful if they're a poet. Some people don't give a rats because they type on their phone. All the nuances are us, not this object. Therefore, the object is empty of having all those qualities. Then you have something to work with. Why did my mind have a chew toy? I didn't or a pen. I didn't choose it. It actually is a pen for me. It actually is a real thing. Yeah. And to stay between things don't exist at all and things exist only... It, it, by their own nature, those two extreme incorrect views force us in this middle way, Madhya Mika, right? Middle way of seeing that it is me right. creating every experience just like this. It's creating this. It's creating this. And it's not manufacturing the particles, but you can never remove yourself from your experience of it. And if that's the reality, oh, bloody meditate until you see all of reality being yeah, exactly. stunning. Exactly. Yeah, that that I think that's that's you just touch on something that's so important. Like, and I try to explain this to people. You know, I have some friends that are just getting into meditation, and that's so exciting because I'm like, just, first of all, just do it. But then you try to explain it in words a little bit, and like, so if I'm sitting there, and I've been practicing for you know more than a couple of minutes, then there's some thoughts that I've learned I don't have to pay attention to like really base thoughts, right? Like, like a cheeseburger right now would be really great. Right. Like I, I just let that thought go. But then there's these like heavy thoughts, like I'm a piece of shit, like you mentioned, or, you, you know, or, meditate, you piece oh, of shit. right. Or, and yeah. it's like, oh my God, well, I got, I can't do that. But the moment that all of a sudden I have that, the, the clouds part and I see that thought of I'm a piece of shit isn't any more or less important than I want to have a cheeseburger. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Then you're actually working with your mind. And, and yeah. here is another another thing. So that's awesome and fundamental. Have you have you talked much to your people or to your students or even to yourself about the nine stages of meditation by Master Kamala Shila, seven hundred AD? You know, it's it's something I have a very rudimentary knowledge of, and I actually have the book Stages of Meditation on my on my shelf there. Oh, cool. Uh, the, is it yeah. the mind illuminated that you have by a stages of meditation by the the Dalai Lama? But oh, he's okay, teaching cool. teaching a, on that awesome. text. Yeah, that's the same. But you could there's his other book, Mind Illuminated by Neuroscientists, who mm. recently passed away. 
and they describe the first four stages. And, and when I saw this, it's like, oh my God, it's clockwork. How do you use the technology of that awareness? Oh, the cheeseburger is no different to your piece of shit. They're both constructs of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So how do I work with that? And in these four stages of meditation, it's actually every anything, it's everything anyone needs to get a practice started, right? It's like you need an object to meditate on, something to put your mind on. It, it's already decided and debated that you can't just sit there and not think of anything because your mind will bring a cheeseburger or something. It, even thinking you're not thinking of anything is thinking of something. So what are you going to put in front of your mind? Because your mind, like a mirror, will become it, right? And so that lets you choose an object. Most people choose the breath to start because it moves naturally, whatever. But really the highest object is your right. Maybe we'll do this meditation at the end. There's this Tibetan Buddhist meditation where you, un, you imagine that all things being equal, you can wake up. You can be a wake-uppers and Buddha yourself. Your mind will be free from suffering and experience ultimate freedom. You imagine what would that look like as a Jonathan or whatever name I'd have, and that's called future refuge. You imagine that person having resolved everything, coming to hang out with you in meditation. That's archetypical reconstruction transformation at very, very strong levels, right? So they say, yeah. meditate on a teacher or yourself as a future enlightened person. Sorry, shortcut. So, you, But you need an object, stage one. Then as soon as you say, okay, I'm going to put my mind there because my mind will become that thing. Just like when I'm angry, I become angry. You know, When I say angry things, I, I think angry. Well, let's put an awesome, divine, stunning thing in front of me. Then your mind will go, oh, cheeseburger, or I'm a piece of shit, or all sorts of things. And that stage one to stage two is keep returning, even if you're just slightly on the object every now and then and mostly on hamburger, and then on the object, the second stage is like, just keep returning. And you'll have instances of being on the object and long pauses where you're distracted. And then there's this magic. When you realize it, when you like naturally wake up and go, oh, I forgot to be on my object. That's where your mind will say you're a piece of shit or you can joyfully habituate returning. To me, that's the key to keep meditating. Because if you sit there and say, I can't do it, I didn't do it for 30 seconds, then you're just really feeding a negative cycle. But if you get excited that your mind naturally woke up and go, oh, my God, I remembered I'm supposed to be on this object, the teacher or myself as an enlightened being, then that joy of returning, you can't wait for the next time you get your mind gets distracted and you're like, I'm going to be on the teacher and the teacher and I'm thinking of breakfast and the breakfast you get lost in your story and then like, you catch the waking up and you pause a little bit and you bring some joy to that and go, this is awesome. How am I going to track myself back to my object? Then the stage three is doing that so many times that the gaps are smaller and the periods on the object are longer. And then stage four is like you just bridge those gaps and you're just for a couple of minutes hanging out with your object and you become the thing you put attention to. What you put attention to, you become. Right. You know, you start looking for why the world is wrong then you're going to find all the reasons the world is wrong. You want to find out why everyone's a piece of shit, you're going to feel like a piece of shit. The opposite is also true. And that's what this, this uplifting upward cycle of meditating on a virtuous object, they say, on a good object, really changes you. If you can get to level four, which you can in six months or something, that's it. Game changer. Yeah. And, and everything that you're describing as you know okay here's this meditation practice that's been practiced by people for you know thousands of years and then it's so interesting because you could put that in the framework of like dr joe dispenza or like the neuroscience and quantum physics that we're learning about like you can't just say well when i have money i'll be happy you know or something like that no you have to you have to start being happy now you have to act as if you that that thing is already there you've already manifested it it's already there for you, you know, because in, in reality it is right. Like we're just in this quantum soup and everything that you want is, is already there. So yeah. It's, yeah. And can your mind frame it? So yeah. Uncontrivedly, you know, right. Have you caused it to habituate that way? And I, I love the joy that you mentioned because I, I also experienced that, you know, like that was to me what got me hooked on Buddhism. It was like, well, you don't have to trust this because you're reading it in a book or some guy that looks like he's smart or, you know, has practiced for a while. It says so. Go try it for yourself. 
And then when I when when I had that moment of joy, when I was like, oh wait, it's working. <laughs> you can't this. you can't help but like want to continue to practice. You can't help but want to do it more. Like just like you said, like I want to get to that next moment, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's that's so magical. And I you know I really just hope that everybody can experience that in their lifetime, you know, because it is so easy to get bogged down in, in our stories and in the things that we've them. been That's habituated true. to. Yeah, absolutely. God, what a wonderful conversation. I, I would be, I'm curious if we could maybe switch gears a little bit and just hear a little bit about how you got to be where you're at. Like what, what's a little bit more of your story? Yeah. Kicking and screaming, but <laughs> certainly serendipity. I was going through most people in their mid to late twenties, some turmoil, you know, some, Something didn't work out and I couldn't find an answer in all the conventional way of solving things through money or through drugs or through, I just, it, it, the feeling wasn't subsiding and, and my life wasn't feeling like I thought it should. And I, I don't know, it's a long story. I haven't really told the story properly ever, but I went through a couple of months where there were very strange things happening around me. Like, Yeah, I, I, I wish we had time because it, it's a very stunning and personal uh, moment where something cracked in me. I was backpacking around the world and I had Anne Rand in my back pocket. Like I was just reading Anne Rand as the philosopher and every stupid spiritual person and every stupid religious person was wrong. And at least her philosophy was a little mean, but it was probably correct. You know, so I was trying to live that self-sufficient philosophy of Ayn Rand, which is pretty, it's pretty shocking to try and practice. And of course, it wasn't working fully. There are some things that were, were really good about it. And then I, I just couldn't get that to work for me. And then within a couple of weeks, all these things started appearing in my mind. I started having really extreme dreams that I couldn't understand. Like it felt like something was forcing itself. I kept finding books on the basement, like ancient books, like secret teachings of Tibetan Buddhist sects, you know, in my basement and in my shitty apartment in New York. And then one day I'm like, I have this terrible dream of my family dying. And I'm all the way in, in the US, my family's in Australia. And I got really sad and I couldn't stop the sad. So I thought I'd just pick up that stupid book that I found and what's these secret teachings, you know? I sat in the park and then. Uh, two trucks approached the park bench that I was sitting at and started unloading chairs and a stage. And I just sat there trying to read this book that I didn't understand, full of Buddhist words. And and then they created a stage and this thing. And I asked them, what what's going on? Because I had like center stage. I was in the middle of the aisle, you know, looking at the stage. And they said, oh, today's Buddha's birthday. And Buddhists from around the world are coming to give a lecture on what Buddhism is. And I'm like, and, you know, every year it's a different city. And this year it's New York. And it was wow. 94, 95 or something like this. And I just sat there. And I can't tell you I remember anything other than how differently dressed all the Buddhist monks and nuns were. And they were saying all the words that I had just finished reading. Bodhisattva, Bodhicitta, Shunyata. I'm like, oh, so freaking weird, you know. Yeah. Well, the next day I'm walking to a housewarming party of a friend of mine. And I get the address wrong and I walk into Three Jewels, Tibetan Buddha's bookstore and tea house, opening night, all welcome. And all these monks and nuns were in there. And I thought, that's weird that they should have a dress up warm up party, a housewarming party. And it wasn't, it was next door. I, I just got a mistake and I just saw a party and I walked in. And um, this nun, Ani Palma, first black nun in the US actually, she grabbed my hand, saw that I had a gift bag for my friend. And she took it. She's like, oh, you brought an offering to Holy Tara. Let's give an offering to this statue, this bloody metal statue. And I'm looking at this saying, I'm not saying anything because I don't offend the nun. And then that was my introduction to Three Jewels and Tibetan Buddhist philosophy. And at that time, uh, my teacher and the Asian Classics Institute were translating for the very first time ever the entire 20-year curriculum of a Tibetan monk or nun, a Geshe degree, like the same stuff that Dalai Lama has to graduate learning and debating. They were translating that into English, the entire 20-year curriculum in a condensed seven-year curriculum. And I just started taking those classes 
And they were so annoying because they were really challenging my worldview. <laughs> Extremely annoying. No, things do exist. No, things are painful. And like things are empty. I didn't say they were didn't exist. And then you'll be a doormat if you take care of everybody. And like nobody said you had to be a doormat. And so there was this struggling of understanding the philosophy. But I think meditation was the thing that kept me going. Well, the first time they taught me to meditate. They, I think they knew that I was this arrogant 20-something-year-old who knew everything. And they're like, the first question was, okay, we're going to meditate. Have you ever meditated? I said, no. And they said, so uh, you think the mind is yours? And I'm like, of course, it's my mind. Everything that happens there is mine, you know? Like, okay, well, let's focus your mind. You get to focus your mind for just a couple of minutes on this image, yeah? And if it wanders, you know, if you can't make it work, like he was... This, not, this monk was sort of baiting me. If you can't make it work, you know, like he was saying words that were already offensive to me. I'm like, <laughs> of course I'm going to make it work. I'm the best, you know. I know everything. I don't need your help. You know, like I'm sitting there pretty arrogant. And, oh, my God, I, I realized I had zero control of this mind of mine, that my mind had me by the balls. I, I didn't last three seconds. And I'm like... I, I didn't know the cold. This was in the 90s. Nobody was meditating. So there was like two folk in there. Um, I said, let's start again. And he's like, okay, let's start again. <laughs> two seconds. Let's start again. And I got so annoyed that I had zero control of this, where my attention could go, uh, that just my stubbornness to be right kept getting me back there <laughs> to go a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then my entire development was like that. Then I discovered these courses and then I started understanding the text. But it wasn't without probably two years of like, F you, you're all stupid, I'll prove you wrong. And I didn't know Tibetan Buddhist monks were expert debaters. Like they had all the debates already sorted out and they were just tolerating my arrogance. When I got that, it was so humbling that people could have that kindness mm. to put up with your bullshit just to help you see the possibility in your mind that I, I think I got really humbled. And so then I started actually studying properly. I had to review all the shit that I didn't, that I thought I knew that I didn't. I was just collecting information and putting it into practice. And oh my God, what a blessing. And so the reason I'm the, president of Three Jewels is after practicing that in my corporate world as an organizational change manager and trying to make it, studying it all and then practicing it, I couldn't really leave this planet without trying to give that away to other people. So then I figured out my life so I could just direct Three Jewels to continue doing this work because these courses are extraordinary and they're still new. Even though they were here in the 90s, people don't really have that Eastern perspective on consciousness, cause and effect, karma and emptiness, essentially, and then compassion. But not in the bullshit I learned it from a work, from a book, and now I've got a badge of I'm a Buddhist or I'm a Tibet. Not that, not that at all. Can you live it in your everyday? Can you see your limitations? And can you work through them, not for your own sake, for the sake of all the bastards that you're hanging around and infecting with your shitty state of mind? So that's how I practice. I'm like, if I got shitty states of mind, I'm infecting people with my state of mind. So I better tame this mind of mine. And it's still a practice. I mean, you just do deeper and deeper levels of limiting beliefs and dissolving them. So I don't know if that gave you a taste, but it was reluctantly humbling. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I can, I mean, it's just wonderful, not only as the story, but just to, to see and to hear the emotion behind it, you know, I can tell the authenticity of it. And as you were telling it, you know, I was thinking, oh, yeah, you were you were gaslighting yourself into <laughs> into your practice, really and and that's so wonderful in a, in a way. You know, it's like it speaks to. I often think, oh, it's like you know, what, well, why did the Buddha have to give eighty four thousand different teachings? Well, because we are so different, and you can use anything as your yeah. way to finding your enlightenment, to finding your dharma. Yeah, yeah. Even to even to wake up. 
yeah, even even when we're arrogant or you know think what we know everything. Ah, oh, it's it's so, it's so, so funny because now, now having habituated that in my early Buddhist days, I can't help but see that because that's the way I worked it in all people that come to Three Jewels that that are yeah. sticking around wanting to learn. I see only what I habituated, and so that this constructs that are built back then are still showing up a little bit amplified i must admit and then it invites me to be compassionate like i'll stay with anyone that really wants to study and i'll put up with whatever they they need until i see them have that moment and when they have that moment I, they don't need me anymore hmm. and that's exactly where it should be they they just need to see that they've got the tools they'll need the books because the books are incredible that's the other thing we live in this society where, I mean, I, I was born in Argentina, so I got to learn Western culture in Australia and then in the U.S. where I am number one. It's all about me, the self, and you know, and right. that invitation to make it everything about me and be famous and do this and I'll be a star. That wasn't really how I grew up early days. It's definitely not the way that Tibetan Buddhists think. And so the Eastern philosophical viewpoints sort of finds that a little strange. And a good consequence of that is that you want to do it, you know, like, that's awesome. You want to discover. So that's really good energy, I think, out of our obsessive, compulsive, fame-seeking self-reliance. And the negative side of that is that we tend to bypass and feel shame and because the internal experience isn't the outward expression. And so, I don't know, I see people coming to Three Jewels or any of the meditation courses. I'm running a teacher training at the moment. And they are with this the same arrogance I had, you know. I know everything. Give me information because that's what's going to change me. Give me, the, let me take the information. That's not going to do it. Your mind needs to do something with that information. So it's like, don't tell me what to do. I can do this. Just give me the information. And then at the same time, once they get soft and they see the limits, they're like, please tell me what to do. And there's this, don't tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Tell me what to do in Western approach to Eastern systems that I think it's really good heat for us to work through. And if you can get through it, it will burn away a whole bunch of uh, limiting beliefs that we have around learning, growing. Like you can get, awakened you really can if you have a mind you can do it you just have to get past your bullshit and the only people that will get past their bullshit is the ones that stay stay and practice keep practicing if you understand the technology the world is being projected through my senses because my mind is calling it so who creates those projections i did in the past by my actions of body speech and mind karma and the way i walk around the world emptinesses i put that karma onto then all of a sudden i am the architect of the world I step into. The world isn't forcing itself on me. It appears that way, that's the illusion. Once you get that mechanics, you can be, you can really experience freedom. And and it, they'll start, like you. we started the conversation, in tiny moments, yeah. in tiny, tiny moments, and then it'll shut. The old habit of saying everything's a piece of shit, everything's a shit, will come strong because we've been habituating that for a long time. But then every now and then you're like, oh my God, it's all, it's all me, I've got to fix it. And it's humbling and you can be joyful because the bad news is it's your fault. The great news, it's your fault. So you could change it. If it wasn't your fault, if it was someone outside, you're screwed. We're all screwed. If it was someone outside causing my experience of being, we're totally screwed. There's no help because you can't change this into a tutorial. This must always be a pen and dogs are now depressed because they, they just can't do it. They can't chew on it. They can't have that. If this was radiating penness, dogs would be very sad. <laughs> you know, and that's just not reality. Reality is this both a pen and a chew toy, which means it's not in here. This can't be two things at once. It's coming from the mind that's perceiving it. Therefore, work the mind, change the lens, the world can change. What was shitty before can be, if nothing else, insightful. At the best, blissful. You know, like, Sorry, no, I'm going to jump in one more no, time. No. I've had probably three, four really good, strong, long-term relationships in my life. And I just finished a nine-and-a-half-year relationship with someone who's everything. And we decided, like pretty Buddhisties, like, okay, we've been at it through COVID. It was really hard. Oh, we, we tried for two years. And we sort of made this rational decision that 
we're best as friends than trying to sort of resuscitate emotions that weren't there or desires that weren't being satisfied. And so we had a pretty healthy uh, breakup, really nice breakup. People around us are like, are you guys okay? And we're like, I think we're okay, you know. And of course, in your isolation, like stopping relating to your partner, I thought my mind was fine around choosing a breakup. But oh my God, I had new stuff to work with. Like, I really am fine about this breakup. But in moments of quiet or going to bed without another person there, the stories in my mind, ancient, ancient stories are like, you're lonely, you're a piece of shit, nobody wants to be with you. I'm like, where did that come from? It was obviously an old story from childhood or teenagehood, and it surprised me. And so now I've got something awesome to work with. You know, like, okay, let's work with that. And then this battling those negative stories, which we all do in whatever shape or form, this was breakup and you can get anything else. The awesome thing about the practice is let's look at it rationally. Are you really lonely? Well, I'm feeling that I miss a hug. Okay, getting that hug, will that satisfy everything? Not really. That's why we broke up. You know, so, okay, not that. So why would your mind now want to infect nine and a half years that were pretty awesome? It wants to call them all garbage just so you could justify your current feeling of not feeling so good. Yeah. Very interesting trick of the mind. It's like if I can dismiss nine and a half years, they were a piece of shit with this and this didn't work and that didn't work. If I can say that, then I don't have to admit that I'm feeling lonely and I don't like the pillow. I'd rather have the body. You know, mm. it's so strange. The mind would like to give us a trick. And so now every time any negative emotions come up, I get to revisit and rejoice on incredible nine and a half years that like we did so many good things together. And he's doing the same. So we're messaging each other, you know, on a, almost on a daily, like I just saw a message pop up from him. So I'm wondering what it's going to be where we're both trying new things, but we've got this affirming goodness that we've worked our minds and now we've got new ground to work in our mind. It is makes making us stronger in, in the next time I show up for a relationship, you know, mm. it's beautiful. And just to have the curiosity and the openness to, to just examine and, instead of assigning that meaning yeah getting hooked you know like on the story and so i don't know i take it as a sign of a mature practice like okay it's good that's not effort anymore i just see it story feelings are there i'm not bypassing feelings right but those feelings don't necessarily mean the whole narrative that i probably saw in a movie or a telenovela or you know something like that yeah no no objective reality outside of of what's going on oh, we get of... to choose and the choices we do over and over become our, our habits which become our reality gone i mean that's it right there right <laughs> i couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself i don't think anybody could you know that's, oh, that's just the the pith as they say right in the buddhist practice <laughs> yeah yeah the pith instructions yeah gosh I, I'm, you know, this is one of those moments where I am just so grateful for having this podcast because like I said, you know, we, we connected, I, I, I reached out about something that you had posted that I think several people were maybe misunderstanding or giving you some grief over. And like to me, it. to me, it made perfect sense. You know, like it was something that, that I talk about as well about having intention. And, you know, I actually, I had posted something a while back that said, do do everything like a Buddhist, even if you're not a Buddhist. And what does that mean? Well, think about your intention before you act, you know, because like, well, meditation isn't necessarily Buddhist. What makes meditation Buddhist? That you have intention, then you have an action, and then you dedicate, you know, you have a dedication. So you have this full container. And you can apply that to anything in your life, right? Like you can apply that to your relationships, to eating, to exercise. Don't just go to the gym and, you know, shut your mind off and be unconscious. Like, okay, I want to go in and this is my intention and want to, and celebrate it when you're done. Like, yes, I did it. Okay. I'm on, I did, I did the, so when you, when you had posted that thing about, you know, think about why you're meditating, have an intention to me, it just, it made perfect sense. And I thought, oh, this is, this is brilliant. But 
I guess it's a roundabout way of saying like, oh, okay, we connected about this one, this one thought, this one piece of content. And I'm just sitting here full of gratitude and full of wonder, you know, to be, to be chatting with you and, and listening to your wisdom and your experience and everything that you've, you've had to share. And it's just feels like such a blessing, you know, to. Yeah, I feel it too. Thank you. I mean, what that little controversial comment made me see is that uh, people, you know, most of the angry replies that I got, I got pretty angry, abusive comments on it. Mm. which I, I thought, well, that maybe tells me you're not meditating. So go, go ahead, tell me what I should be doing, you know. But then there was a compassion in there. It's like, no, these minds, they there's something that made them connect. So I'm going to connect. And I try really hard to reply to absolutely everyone, you know, the good people, the people that are saying, I agree, nice. And I'm like, okay, that's good. But are you practicing? And, and I'm spending extra time replying to the ones that are, uh, a little strong and so it made me connect to a broader world than I'm currently sitting in you know like I've got I think we have like 46,000 visits at Three Jewels every year like we're pretty busy 50 teachers yoga meditation dharma teacher trainings like I said I'm running a 70 people teacher training at the moment for 10 weeks on meditation so I'm pretty busy but I don't reach further than my normal reach because this keeps me full you know yeah. And it just showed me that even if you think you're practicing really well, you still have many dialogues to do to engage the broader world. Yeah. And I, I, I believe there's nothing better to do than understand how your mind functions. Meditation is the key to that if you know what you're doing. If you're not, my fear, my reason for that post, my fear was that meditation has become a little bit of a fad or a trend. Then people say that yeah. didn't work for me because they didn't know what they were doing. Right. And then they'll never meditate and get access to that key that lets them unlock the goodness in their world. Hmm. So I, that's the reason for posting it. And that's sort of exactly what I saw. Yeah, it's a good it's a good thought. And I, I think you're right. You know, there's there is a certain amount of bypassing that can you know happen in the meditation process or. You know, I always say that there's, there's there's so many different types of meditation, like just because you did some sort of, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but, you know, like shocker rebalancing and visualization for, you know, 20 minutes and it didn't like work for you doesn't mean that you can't just sit down and practice some mindfulness, you know, that yeah, won't, yeah. that, that yeah. won't benefit you. And even, you know, I've, I've had debates with with uh, peers of mine. And that they've given me papers to read about like how mindfulness meditation can actually exacerbate certain psychiatric conditions or why it's dangerous for some people. And it's, it's curious though, like, okay, because I'm not attached to this idea that like every, you know, like I do think everyone should be meditating, but I also realized that you don't have to believe that, right? Like if, if meditation doesn't work for you in this moment, great. Like, let's find something that does. But I do like, I really believe this. And maybe it's because I've been practicing Buddhism for 20 years. And like, you know, there's thousands of years of texts and experiences of people. Okay, like, there's something here, like, well, let me investigate more, you know, and what where I've come to with that conversation of like, well, meditation isn't for everyone is the analogy that's often used in meditation of scooping water out of the river and not being able to separate the dirt and the mud, right? You can't, you can't make yourself separate that. But if you leave that water on the table and let it settle, then all of a sudden it separates and you're able to, you're able to scoop out whatever debris or, you know, gunk or mud is in there. So I say, okay, well, even if meditation isn't going to solve all these problems for you, it's going to cut out a lot of the noise that's happening in your mind. And then as your mind settles, just like that water, then you can find somebody to work with to help you scoop out the bits that meditation isn't going to help with, you know, find a, um, excuse me, a therapist or somebody that can do, you know, more bottom up somatic practices with you. But yeah, like try mindfulness meditation. Cause I bet you it's going to get rid of a lot of the noise and then make it a lot clearer about what the next step is. Cool. You know? Very, very cool, Jonathan. Yeah. I had that experience myself, you know, like when I, when I started going through 
you know, my, my own kind of awakening process in terms of, oh, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit before, you know, coming out of this divorce and being like, okay, I've got some things I need to work on. And <clears throat> I started to have these somatic flashbacks, like things, things that were really, really scary. And I, that I felt really, really strong in my body. And I kept trying to apply the things that I knew in the beginning, which was, well, if I sit and concentrate on my breath, eventually this feeling is going to pass, right? And it was really scary because it didn't seem like it was working. And what was happening was I just needed more resources. I needed a way to connect to what was happening to my body instead of just letting it be there until it passed, like the, the cheeseburger thought, you know? And so that was when I started doing somatic work and like really connecting that to my meditation practice and seeing like, oh, wow, there's this whole realm from the neck down that I've been bypassing. And like, there's, there's just as much curiosity and things to explore with that. And now I have more resources. I have different ways of dealing with it. And I, the other piece of it was, well, you know, for the last however many years, I've been drinking and using food to numb myself and cannabis and all these other things. And as I'm changing the, the, the formula of myself, as I'm not drinking, as I'm not using food as a way to escape, there's things that are bubbling up to the, to the surface. And now I've got to, you know, yeah, I, I didn't have to deal with that before because I was dealing with it in a different way. But now it's like, okay, now I got to work with this. Now, I, now, now how can I apply these tools and these resources to this next stage, this next step? But what a wonder, right, that you have the capacity yeah. and the awareness to, A, want to do that and, and able to do it, you know. Mm. That, that is a miracle. I mean, I've been around long enough to see that sometimes we don't appear to have that choice, that little window of choice. Yeah. And the fact that you have it and you act on it, it's freaking amazing. You know? Thank you. That anyone that. does. Yeah. It's amazing. And just like you're saying, like it's, it's, it's evidence that we all can do it because there's yeah. no, there's no penness. There's no, there's no Jonathan in here. It's just a bunch of causes and conditions and memories yeah. and sensations. And, you know, the implication is that everything's pregnant with infinite potential mm. and it's just waiting for you to code. Mm. So code in your next response and then wait till the code comes up, you know, it'll come up later. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. You know, that's, I feel like we could talk so much about emptiness. It's just something I can geek out on, you know, forever. Same. It's like, I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hector. I really appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom, your experience. And yeah, this, it, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody wouldn't want, you know, I'm going to get calls like, Hey, when can you get this guy back on? <laughs> so I really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about Three Jewels or about your work, where, where should they go? How can they do that? So threejewels.org, spelled out, threejewels.org. We're a nonprofit, 501c3. We offer more than half our classes free or by donation. And we're on this thing to give equal access to wellness. So if you want to help us do that too, this uh, we're currently doing an end-of-year fundraiser if people feel called to. But they can come and take an online class, free or by donation, or in-person scholarships we offer for trainings and the rest. 3jewels.org, or hit me up on Instagram. I'm trying to be more active there. So wake upest, wake upest is my handle. And I like lively discussions. Yeah, like I'm enjoying, this yeah. is where this came from. And Absolutely. so feel free to connect on me with me there. And then once you hit 3jewels, you'll see the course material like this for deep dives, there's immersions, like little short, Im <laughs> pardon me, immersions. And then, there <laughs> sorry, there's regular classes. Yeah, I, I noticed, you know, going through the Three Jewels website, it linked to a pretty robust YouTube page with all kinds of teachings that you have on there. And like we mentioned a couple of times, there's a really interesting TED Talk that you gave. Definitely recommend people check that out as well. So, so wonderful to connect with you. And thank you, uh, Jonathan, for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. And I really hope that for you, the listener, or if you're watching on YouTube, that, you know, you got some of the, the juice because this is a really juicy conversation. 
And yeah, it's just so, so wonderful and so grateful that we had the chance to connect. So until next time, my friends, thanks for joining the Vital Point podcast. And like we've been talking about on this this conversation, you know, the vital point is to practice. So go, go hit the mat. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I'd love it if you leave a review. Follow me on Instagram at Blue Magic Alchemy if you'd like to learn more about transformation, integration, and how to connect through coaching, breathwork, and meditation. Remember that regardless of the methods you're practicing, the vital point is to practice. 